0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study.
1: We are in Parsha Kitavo this morning. So last week was Kitetze, the largest collection of mitzvot, of laws in the entire Torah. Uh, And so at the end of the discussion of those or the iteration of those laws, we have the ceremony that we're going to look at uh, this morning. That means we start at chapter 26, verse 1. We are looking at the first third of every Torah portion. (coughs) But soon we're going to be changing to the second year of the triennial reading with uh, as we start uh, the Torah again after Simchat Torah. <coughs> so we are finishing Deuteronomy as we do every year around the High Holy Days. And we'll look at
2: 26.1. When you enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you as a heritage and you possess it and settle in it, You shall take some of the very, of every first fruit of the soil which you harvest from the land that the Lord your God has given you. Put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God will choose to establish his name. You shall go to the priest in charge at that time and say to him, I acknowledge this day before the Lord your God that I have entered the land that the Lord swore to our fathers to assign us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. You shall then recite as follows before the Lord your God. My father was a fugitive Aramaic. He went down to Egypt with meager numbers and sojourned there. But there he became a great and very populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. The Lord freed us from Egypt by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm and awesome power, and by signs and portents. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Wherefore, I now bring the first fruits of the soil, which you, O Lord, have given me.
1: Virginia.
2: You shall leave it before the Lord your God and bow low before the Lord your God. And you shall enjoy, together with the Levite and the stranger in your midst, all the bounty that the Lord your God has bestowed upon you and your household. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. These words should sound a little familiar, yes? I got it. Yeah. yeah. Couple Broadway shows. <laughs> Broadway shows? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> when you enter the land that Adonai is giving you as a heritage, as an inheritance, you and you possess it and settle it, you shall take sum of every first fruit of the soil. All right, so we are not getting an amount here. We are getting some of every first fr- fruit of the soil, which you harvest from the land that Adonai your God is giving you. You will put it in a teneh, which is a loan word from Egyptian. Uh, you will put it in a teneh and go to the place where Adonai your God will establish God's name. What place is that? Jerusalem? Jerusalem? No specifically the temple. This is the place where God will cause God's name to be established, the temple in Jerusalem. The ceremony here is in two parts. So the first part of what this pers- the person coming is supposed to do is verses 3 and 4. So you, the person takes the basket and goes to the priest. So it has to be presented to the priest. And the person says in front of the priest, I acknowledge this day before Adonai, your God, that I have entered the land that God swore to our fathers to assign to us. The priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down in front <coughs> of the altar. So this is part one uh, of the ritual. So what's happening, what's happening here in part one? What, what is this ritual about? Acknowledging that it's God's land. All right. So acknowledging number one that it, the land belongs to God. God. And we we have to give back. And our obligation is to give back from the land to God. Well, why does the why does it say Adonai your God instead of our God? So, most likely it is the style of speaking when you are coming to the representative of the God. Ah. So, meaning I am offering it to the God whom you. Represent the God for whom you work, right? The the priest.
2: This also recalls the uh, covenant with the ancestors. That this is acknowledging God promised it to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and now this is God fulfilled God's part, and now I'm completing it.
1: So this person is saying, I am part of that chain of promises and fulfillment of promises that makes this land my inheritance. Right. Because you swore it to my ancestors. So it is both a statement of awareness that the land is not mine. It belongs to God. Um, Also, that I am of the heritage that has had a, a promise in place with the divine that has resulted in my ability to live here and be here and and work the soil and then. Have and share the bounty of that soil.
2: Is this one of the few places in the Torah where specific words are commanded? Absolutely, unusual. Absolutely, you got to say exactly these words.
1: This is unusual in Torah for sure. We have a couple of other ones, but for sure this is one of the few times Torah gives us liturgy. Right, because we're not even told to say the Shema. Right. This is this is liturgy that obviously is an old old ceremony uh, that is preserved. Right, that the language of this and the, the drama, the um, architecture, the, the choreography of the ceremony is preserved this for us.
0: tradition that was common in the area so that they went in or came and whatever, did they to do something similar?
1: So it's a very good point because we are always looking at these rituals for not only how they are emergent, from pagan <clears throat> rituals but also what, what is the Israelite reconstruction right, of those rituals so for sure there would have been an offering to the God from somebody who was harvesting their field in pagan Canaan for sure y'all have been studying with me long enough to suspect the difference what is the difference between what they would have done as Canaanite pagans and this ritual
0: Uh, Probably animals versus
1: plants. They they would have brought both, depending if it's if it's a harvest they would have brought plants. So they would have had a statue there. Um, So for us there was no statue.
3: Plus we've been promised something in return. I'm sorry. We've been promised something in return. Which is participating the land
1: itself and a home and safety and protection I think probably pagans would have felt the same thing that if they bring an offering what they're hoping for is something in return is protection by the God the favor of the God did they have a tradition of this is your land and this is your obligation they definitely had a tradition of this is your land so let's look at how the Israelite situation would have been different than that that is in the second part of the ritual. Well,
3: the Israelites came in there.
1: You shall then recite the following, verse 5. My father was a fugitive Aramean. The translation of a lot of this, you can imagine, is complicated and uh, not without controversy. So, Arami Oved Avi. That's the actual Hebrew. So, Arami, that's pretty clear, but scholars still argue about it um, Arami, Aramean Arami, Oveid so then the question becomes what is ovade? Avi, my father so ovade is like is the word that there's the most discussion of so here it says what in the English it says fugitive, fugitive. Well, okay. in, the, in the commentary
0: it says wandering
1: so there's a lot of senses of the word Oveid Right, Um, it can mean uh, perish or stray. So fugitive seems to to go with the interpretation of stray. Um, But the word also carries the meaning to perish. So somebody who's you know close to perishing. So we have several folks that that could be referring to uh, if we're talking about one of our ancestors being this Arami, right? Um, so one that comes to mind? Jacob. Jacob. Why Jacob? <coughs> he went to Egypt. So what is? What, how does that line up with Oved? This word Oved. Mm-hmm. Why did he go to Egypt? There was a famine. There was a famine. If you're... Dealing with a famine, you are starving. You are close to perishing. So Yaakov is the obeyed. He is the one who who was going to perish. And so he goes to Egypt. Um, Because Egypt is seen as the source of so much uh, yuckiness, yuckiness. it is possible (laughs) exactly right how do you spell yucky in hebrew um that possibly it could go with jacob going down to egypt and the meaning being strays right that he strayed from the uh land of canaan right and goes to this place that is known for its corruption of you know people because of its Fascination with wealth and monuments and death and right so um, possible so either way Yaakov could fit Oved being perishing or Oved being straying um, also because Yaakov moves around a lot right he's he's not really settled and so this sense of straying meaning not having one place that's yours where you are where you stay uh, it, it could be that as well. Um,
2: and this is also not factually true in the sense that <laughs> actual, the person declaring this is actual father who is was not necessarily wondering at, that. This A- is fa- our father, no? Av
1: does not mean father in Hebrew only. It means ancestor. It means ancestor.
2: So that you should say our ancestor. Yep. The English says father.
1: Correct. So, uh, cause- That's in the mail
0: in the Red Book. It says ancestors in the book. <laughs>
1: So it, does it say ancestors in the green book? Yes. Aha! Yes. <laughs> um, I let the women do it. Um, so, because Avi's not father is not wrong, but with all, as we know with all of these translations, one has to go to what. It's not wrong, incorrect, avi means my father. But in this case, it, of course it doesn't mean their actual father. Like, they got born on the land. Like, if their father was a wandering near me, they wouldn't be here, right? They wouldn't have been bringing the first fruit. So um, obviously it means it, it, these things have to be taken and translated in context. Like, what's the best translation um, for any one of these terms? Who else could this
0: mean? <laughs>
1: Reuben goes to the commentaries now Like to get out ahead of Right, whatever is going on Love that Love that Reuben <clears throat> So uh, this could be Avraham Why would Avraham be associated with Ovade?
2: Well, he left his father's He left his original land. God said, go to the place. Lech lecha.
1: Abraham's whole story, our whole story begins with Lech lecha. Go, you, out leave your Eretz Moldatecha. Leave the land of your birth. Leave Beit Avicha. Leave your father's house. Leave everything you know. You are going to be a stranger in a strange land. That's our story. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's where it starts. So some people want to identify this as Abraham Avinu. That this Abraham, our ancestor, Abraham, our father, in that sense, father meaning you know, the person from whom uh, we descend. And that it was in his being willing to be a fugitive, in his willing to stray from what he knew, from what his whole family knew, in being willing to do that, the Jewish people exist so that it's not pejorative in that sense it's about the courage the bravery the willingness to embrace the unknown uh, to, to go to leave to not even know what you're moving towards that's that willingness of Abraham and Sarah that results in the Jewish people being in the land and now having the opportunity so to bring their food. That's the difference with the, with the
3: uh, the Jews coming in and with the pledge is that it's a newfound land; it's a given land, correct? Not from the origins.
1: Which is going to be the defining care, one of the defining characteristics of this people. Which I'm going to share with you the thoughts of Dr. Rachel uh, Edelman on on that on this point exactly. So the declaration is my my ancestor was a perishing, straying, fugitive Aramean. He went down to Egypt. We know this story, don't we?
0: Because of famine.
1: Goes down to Egypt because of famine with meager numbers and sojourned there, meaning they were not citizens. They were not permanent residents there. They were long-time residents but not permanent But there he became a great and very populous nation. The Egyptians dealt harshly with us and oppressed us. They imposed heavy labor upon us. We cried to Adonai, the God of our ancestors, and Adonai heard our plea and saw our plight, our misery, and our oppression. And God freed us from Egypt by a mighty hand, by an outstretched arm and awesome power, and by signs and portents, God brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Wherefore, I now bring the first fruits of the soil, which you, O oh God, have given me. How familiar is this trope? Right? We went down to Egypt, few in numbers. There we sojourned. Then we came a great and populous nation, and we were oppressed, and, right? And the Egyptian, and God delivered us with a mighty hand and an ounce. We know this because we recite it every single year at the table. We recite this every single new year of the spring. This is our identity. This is who we are. This is our defining understanding of right, of how we become a people. Sarah?
3: This makes us more sensitive to the
1: situation
3: of the dreamers. Uh, Because we are dreamers here.
1: This makes us more sensitive. And then we can fill in the blanks. Right? Because I think that is exactly the point. Having this as our foundational narrative means you Israelites must therefore be sensitive to and then, right? Yeah, there's, yeah, there's all of look at the laws in here. And certainly you must be sensitive to, okay? Now we have Sarah saying the dreamer. Someone who's ready to, to dream of something that hasn't existed yet. Something that... Hasn't seemed either possible or, right, for, for whatever reason, dreaming and being willing to follow that dream, to live into that dream, to risk everything that it's going to mean to live into that dream with no assurances, right, other than if one trusts in God, right? But there's no no evidence that the dream is going to work out. And, and, in fact, all the evidence is to the contrary, and not just with Abraham, but also with who, if we're going with your metaphor, of being sensitive to the dreamer. Who else?
3: Jacob.
1: Jacob has visions. Jacob has dreams. Moment. Jacob has you know these moments. Joseph. Joseph. Joseph, from the beginning, has dreams. visions and dreams that all evidence to the contrary. He's going to rise and be. Fam- he, he, rises, he, he rises. He falls. He rises. He falls. He rises. He falls. Right. He's in prison. He's in. He's in the dungeon. Right. So he. But he does not give up on his dream. He does not stop interpreting. He does not stop living into what he believes the dream is calling him into. We must be sensitive to the dreamers. We must be willing to follow right, the dream, the vision, because this is our story.
2: Yes? It's interesting that this, this commentary that follows through in a lot of the Torah And uh, Rabbi Rubin chose this book, um, Hillbilly Elegy, for us to read this uh, summer, and I had a talk on the other day, and it's a similar narrative because um, J.D. Maynes, who was the author, had the strength and the willingness to leave Kentucky and move to Ohio, even though he was leaving his family behind. I mean, I don't know whether it was
1: chosen because it's very close to his or that he's just redeemed stuff, Right? Because we are very close to, to that story, right? We're very close to leave takings. Leave-taking. We are very close to them. That is our foundational narrative. So we must be sensitive to the dreamer. Who else must we be sensitive to? Because this is our story. The stranger.
0: Yeah.
1: The gear Because we were, strangers. we were strangers in the land of Egypt. And we were delivered with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And given this land flowing with milk and honey. It is conditional. We in reciting this ritual are saying. This bounty that I hold in my hands is Conditional. We were rescued and brought here to a land flowing with milk and honey and it is very clear that that obligates us to a certain sensitivity to, respect for, and need to protect all those who are alien on our soil. We can't control what other countries do, but in the land of Israel, this land flowing with milk and honey, there are 36 times the Torah exhorts us more than any other thing in the Torah 36 times. You must not oppress the stranger. You must protect the widow and the orphan. You were strangers in the land of Egypt. This narrative says we, even though we have this amazing land, even though we have this bounty, we do not take it for granted for one moment. It's not ours. It was given to us by God. And... We know that we have to behave a certain way to the stranger who was just like us in order for us to earn and deserve staying on the land and earning the land, giving us bountiful produce so that our lives may be good and rich and our children will be nourished and sated.
3: 36, double high.
2: (laughs) Didn't we just come out a couple of weeks ago? about destroy, you know, when you come into the land, destroy the altars, kill the people, and if any one of you isn't thinking about God, kill them. It's kind of like the flip side, isn't it? Uh, Say more? Well, a couple of weeks, I think it was a couple of weeks ago in in the Torah portion, there was this whole thing about have no pity on the people who were there, and, and this seems like kind of the opposite of that. And you talk about loving
1: the care. So Well, there's two categories. There are the people you're going to have to fight to take the land. That is a different category. Then when you're living in the land and you control everything, you must be... And the stranger is not the Canaanite. That's the other thing. Canaanites are residents. They're local. Uh-huh. Right? It's It's the people, the itinerant... Stranger, right? The the resident alien, right? People who come from outside the country and come in and therefore don't have clan to protect them. They don't have a tribe. They don't have a clan. They don't have all those extended family alliances to protect them. I think that was also
2: I don't remember the name of... no, uh, oh I thought it was from the evil the archetype of the evil. Amalek.
1: Amalek. What what were we saying?
3: I, I think
1: what, what I don't remember was what
2: I was thinking. You were just talking about was the, the archetype of the evil one that we talked
1: about in the last week to destroy Amalek. To destroy Amalek? Well, I'm I'm confused. On how on the, that
2: we have on the ones, you were just talking about great mercy and and and, and the stranger and whatever. The only point I was making is that there is a flip side here, and that when we come into the land, we're not supposed to. Have that kind of
1: mercy for the people over there. Correct. They're two different things. Yeah, they are two different things. War is war, One we and, like and the other we don't. And and well, it's not like or don't like. It's that when you're at war, you destroy the enemy. That They're that is assumed. that doesn't mean you're not a compassionate human being who isn't commanded to behave ethically and morally and with sensitivity and compassion for the orphan. Right. I mean, the human. Human nature is such that it is complicated and messy, and um, certainly human civilizations are messy, right? And um, the same, the same document, the same understanding, the same tradition that can that can declare so clearly, you must protect the vulnerable, also says, you know, attack Amalek. They hurt you. We
0: can make the obvious reference to DACA and what's happening here mm-hmm. now. but I'm curious about in Israel how this gets played out in terms of the strangers uh, in mm-hmm. terms of um, handling Palestinians who work within the borders and everything of that sort and how this
1: plays out it's complicated it's seriously seriously complicated in Israel um because you have both happening in Israel, you have an in-gathering, right, of widows and orphans, and right. So we airlift people out of Africa who are vulnerable, right, out of Ethiopia, out, you know. And so on the one hand, taking in all of those who are at risk in any way, taking this very seriously about those who are. Um, in a place where they have no connection and no safety, bringing them to Israel, incorporating them into the society of Israel. It's, so there's there's that on the one hand. There are lots of migrant workers in Israel right now. Um, lots and lots of folks who want to be there rather than where they come from. And Israel is just like America in that most Israelis don't want to pick strawberries. They don't want to fix the roads. Right? You know, right? So they like us have a class of workers coming in from wor- places where it's worse right, than life in Israel uh, to do these jobs and feed their families and then it's kind of like okay so what do we do with them right a lot of undocumented a lot it's a serious problem in Israel um, and then you have the resident population that Israel is, right, is in charge of dealing with um, that it's one of the biggest reasons that 85% of the Israeli public right now without question supports the two-state solution. Because the only way to get out from under the horrible tensions of of occupying, right, those territories, the only way out is for the Palestinians to have sovereignty so that Israel's no longer involved in you know, dealing with their day-to-day lives. And every, Israel, every Israeli gets it, that this is not tenable, it's not working, it's not a solution. It has to stop. It has to change. The challenge is nobody in Israel agrees what that should look like, right? how that should look. Um, but it was this is the first time I think I've ever come away from a trip to Israel, meeting with high, high-level people, where it was just taken for granted. Two states was taken for granted. Absolutely, right? Um, and so that, uh, that that is a new place, but I think it comes out of that, the awareness of the conflict between, right, this and how we're supposed to treat people and what that means on the ground every day um, it, in a situation like Israel.
3: Even more immediate, uh, not to dismiss the seriousness of the, the problem you're discussing, we have that problem within Judaism as well. I think I am a dreamer, And every convert's a dreamer, if they're serious about conversion. And going to Israel, we're still outsiders unless we had orthodox conversion. Yeah. And we are not included.
1: Well, it's not even just you. No, I hate I know, to tell I you, <laughs> like, most like I, you as know. a woman rabbi, right, right. and not right. a rabbi. The only all... country in the world where I'm not recognized as a rabbi is the Jewish state. Yeah, the only one. We're all
3: dreamers. They so don't... we're all,
1: you know, so it's it's certainly one of the other major tensions in Israel right now is Jewish pluralism. It, it it's really hard. It's really hard. They, while we were there this time. Is when uh, Netanyahu had just backed off the agreement to make the plaza, um, you know, at the wall. I talked to you about that when I got back, and um, and seeing a not. You know, we heard from Anat Hoffman and Women of the Wall, and just, you know, it's just crazy that they're, you know, (laughs) that they're searching women to make sure they don't bring a Torah, you know, to the wall, and then dragging them off if they do. It just is, you know, it's just, it's horrible, and this is the reality of what happens in a coalition government situation, and it's a real it's a real problem
0: so I I agree that because we were continual strangers in many lands that we should be sensitive to that issue. when were the Jews ever welcomed in what's our model system I don't see that anywhere what's our what what's our model system when were we ever as Jews welcomed to a country welcomed as a stranger
1: so Torah doesn't Torah doesn't concern itself with what other people are doing Torah doesn't care Torah doesn't care who welcomes us in or who doesn't. Torah says, when you have sovereignty and you have land and you have this happening, this is your obligation. We, we can't control what anyone else does. I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying, but it's like, okay, so that's, we know that, right? That's, that's history. I will argue, as a proud American, I will argue that this country welcomed Jews in from the beginning as full citizens, which is the only country in the history of the world to do so from its inception. Except
3: during the, the war. Only Except one. <laughs>
1: Yeah. We all know, right? Of course. Right, of course. But but just to but but I I take some pride in the fact that this country yes. you know welcomed Jews in from the beginning as full citizens. Well, they didn't do that for their African American population, but
0: well, but the, to me, the uh, story that's our foundation story sounds very close to the foundational story of America. Say more. They well, uh, adopted America. There, there were different times, but in the beginning, people were fleeing religious persecution. Um, Quakers and whatever came here, and then later there was a lot of uh, immigration from places where people were starving, and there was plenty of persecution. But nevertheless, wave after wave of immigrants. Uh, who were strangers or starving in their own land came.
1: From. Right. And largely
0: were either immediately or finally felt true.
3: And even the Native Americans oh. are dreamers in their own well, yeah.
1: landav.
0: <laughs> so
1: So what you're saying is Oveda V you know, is many of the peoples who came here, right? Their ancestors were obeyed in one way or another, close to perishing or or right, there was they had to leave.
0: That's why what's going on now is just so upsetting to me because it's just not what American history has more or less been.
1: And so for many people, I think that's what has triggered such a reaction, right? Is that I think it's just as this is so much a part of our consciousness in terms of our foundational right mythology that I think many, many Americans feel the same way, right? That this country was, was made of immigrants, of people who had to leave or chose to leave or were dreamers or were brave enough to, to think there was another possibility or were tricked into the golden Medina. The streets are paved with gold over there, so let's go there. All right, what, Whatever it is, that, that same consciousness I, I agree is so rooted in our American identity that it just seems like, wait, 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 wait. Us of all countries? Like, how can we right, be about this?
2: And yet there's always been a strain here. I mean, look at the, the, the how the Irish were the Catholics were quote welcomed here in the 19th century. So uh, the Chinese. Sure. And so mm-hmm. we've had we've had both. But a lot of the founders and the as uh, you're saying the ideology of our of our founders is based on these stories. And if, yes. If, if, if That's you read, right. If uh, read the Declaration of Independence and these ideas and their ideas were very very similar.
1: Absolutely. And uh, and what flowed from them, right, was very similar And in terms of what kind of society they felt was a just and equitable society, right? You that, hear
2: even even evangelical Christians today talking about the need for the United States to exceptionalism, the light unto the other nations in the sense that there was something special about this land and special about our relation. I mean, it's a different story, but a lot of it is related to this. We've always had this... Slavery
0: underscored from from day one that this country started. You had the three fifths of a slave was a vote type of a person. To to currently uh, everything Um, we we are not as good as we would like to think we are. (laughs) I I know, right? (laughs) It's similar, in a lot of ways, it's similar to Israel insofar as you're dealing with the end of the act. You're dealing uh, in almost every situation with uh, counterweight to these uh, commandments.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, And that's our job, is to lean into the schizophrenia of human identity, and to say, but it's it's, I'm not going to deny that there's this, you know, one reality. But I also am charged with right, creating a different re- reality at the same time. Pam,
0: I just want to point out, getting back to Bert's question in terms of weighing compassion and war, that when we were given the promised land, it was occupied. We had to fight our way in from a Torah perspective. I mean, as soon as we're in, we're in the Battle of Jericho, and we're fighting to occupy the land ourselves. So I just want to point out that it was, we had a fight to, to take over that land. Yeah.
1: Like, as does every people. If you're going to take somebody's land, you have to fight. Yeah, I'm just saying,
2: right, yeah. it was occupied. It right. like, here you go, there's no
1: one in it. Right, yeah. we took it.
0: Yeah. We, we talked last week about so we uh, pursuing the the dream, that it, you're sort of behind, you're always pursuing it. The way I sort of see this a little bit is that this is set up as a rule and as a law, but if we're behind the curve.
1: Correct. That we are to be pursuing we
3: fall
0: short.
1: Yeah. Uh, a society that lives into these values, knowing that it's not achieved. Audrey? What's
3: happening today is you no know, way not new. Uh, I was the reason that the vote filled with Jews from Europe trying to escape the concentration camps and the United States didn't take them in was because FDR
1: was worried about being elected for the next term. And that's why he turned them away. Is that correct? I mean, I think there were many factors that, right, that went into... Oh, absolutely. It's all politics. It's all politics. It's
0: all politics. politics
1: today. Abs- absolutely.
3: And it's fear-based. So
1: how do you deal with people who are making decisions based on fear? Well, I'm I'm not so sure that uh, anyway it's another conversation. But I I'm not so sure those decisions are being made out of fear. I think it's playing to people who are afraid. I think the support for those decisions comes out of fear. I I don't know how much fear. Just, the top is. Well, I'm. Usually I would say, yes, I agree and move on. But there's a little tiny part of me because I'm preparing for high holiday sermons. So you have to forgive me. Um, and I have to address the situation in this country. What, what am I going to not talk about what's happening in our country? But I have to be very careful what I say. So I'm not con- I'm, I I'm. believe fear mongering is happening. I'm not so sure it's that people are afraid. I, I think it's that people are angry they are disappointed. They are angry. They have no hope for their futures, and they and they need to put that somewhere. And they need to blame somebody for that. And they're blaming immigrants. They're blaming other people taking their jobs. They're blaming right. I, I really think there's a there's an anger and a and a sense of displacement and a sense of um, losing the American dream that a certain part of our population is experiencing, and we missed it. Those of us who are Democrats, we missed it completely because we were oblivious to it and were shocked when we saw the results of the voting. And I'm not oblivious anymore, right? Because now it's quite prevalent and quite clear, right? Um, But I do want to try to understand it. I preach that in here, and if I preach it that I think that's the solution, I have to live it. And so I've been trying to research and look into what is that about? What is that anger about? And we have to start to understand why people are so easily led into fear-mongering and blaming and whatever. If we don't get to the root causes of that, we have no hope of contributing to a solution for this country moving to a different place. That's my opinion. Is it addressed anywhere is what addressed? you
3: know,
1: You know, Torah does not deal with. Mindset and right—it's just kind of clear about how one behaves and how was—it's a—it's legislation. We certainly have stories about what it means to be vulnerable. Like you know, we have stories of Yaakov having to flee and then he's tricked by Lavan. You know, we but but Torah is not interested in what does that mean. That's that's us, right? We, we do that um, work. So, but I'll keep it in mind as we continue to read and especially as we go into Genesis, you know, for those moments, Jody.
0: You know, when you really hear the chant
3: not replace us. I mean, it doesn't get more clear. That. Correct. I mean, that was their chance, that was it, Jews will not replace them. But for us, the chant was Jews will not replace us. Right. Um, and I think, you know, everything that we're reading today, it is really the commandment to us, to be empathetic. Is
1: that it's view and I don't remember, I'm sure somebody in this room will know what the
3: Latin root of empathy is. I think it's something about the feeling of standing in someone's shoes. And isn't that it? And it's really commending us and saying, don't forget, you were in their shoes. You walked that walk. Now, this is what we have to do. Absolutely. This is the root of
1: our empathy. Absolutely. So if the copier made a color copy, did it make a color copy? Okay, so then you have my highlights. Um, so go to that. This is uh, Dr. Rachel Edelman on this text. So throughout history, that second paragraph, first highlight, throughout history, the imminent connection of a people to its lands has most often entitled a claim of indigenousness. Not for just, but. Uh, the next highlight. The Jewish myth of origins also informs our relationship to the land, but our hope of homecoming and the sense of ourselves as an eternal people is grounded ironically in the claim that we were originally strangers in a strange land. So, just this idea of us not being indigenous, not being of the land, is crazy mm-hmm. as a foundational claim to the land. <laughs> right? That's crazy unheard of. We are not an indigenous people native to the land but a nation whose origins reside in exile and whose fate is exile if we fail to uphold the covenant. So not only didn't we come from here meaning we've always been here. There's a permanency about our presence on the land. Not only was our presence not permanent here we are not indigenous but it is very clear that it does not belong to us permanently whose story is that that we're not indigenous to the land that our origins are in exile and we will be exiled again if we don't behave in line with right what Torah demands of the civilization we build on that land right book ended by exile is the Jewish narrative of belonging to the land but if you
0: look historically throughout history the whole idea of indigenous nations, I have uh, great sympathy for those. Is a little bit spurious in that there is sure, constant but, emotion. But they, but they claim it. <laughs> they claim we it. We don't even claim it. Like what? It's like,
1: but if you're going to make a mythology why we belong to this land, it's very understandable that you would say whether it's spurious or not. We come from this land not the Jews the Jews say we became a people in exile we are allowed and given this land if we continue to obey Torah law and if not it will be exile for us again existentially that is a fascinating foundational narrative and and the way to hold that whole idea of relationship to the land
0: especially if if, uh, you really can't, can't Oh, right, <laughs>
1: especially if these are indigenous people writing that our story starts in exile. a
2: story that you were born. Yeah, and everybody came from somewhere else.
1: Well, every everybody came from somewhere else. Did they codify Right, right. So Robert brings. Uh, a wonderful perspective, right? So most of these people would have been indigenous Canaanites, right? That converted, who adopt a story of our relationship to this land was forged in exile. It's you've you got to love, you got to love this.
0: So
1: oh, for well, we think that's more powerful, but like other people, well, that's crazy. You can, you can also use what you
3: say. As one
0: group of Jews setting themselves up against
1: another group of Jews who are not
0: obeying and following
1: the um, rules. You know, I'm confused. Tell, tell me. About the
0: Jews. The yes. Hebrews, yes. I could see one group of Jews saying.
3: Those other people who claim to be
1: Jews are not really part of us because they're not following. Oh, of course. Of course. So yes, of course. They argued always about what following Torah law meant. Absolutely. That's why we had the Talmud. That's right. But it.
3: Right.
1: it can either be poisonous and dangerous, as we see happening in this country right now, you're not a real American, you're not really supporting American values, or it can be incredibly productive, right? We have to argue what really, it, it depends on the nature of the arguing, right? This was last year's sermon, right? If it's l'shem shemayim, if it's for the sake of heaven, we are obligated to argue what is, right, what would Torah values tell us about what to do in our society with X and Y situation, right? Or you're for real following this, you're the real Jews and you're not, or you're real Americans and you're not, Right? If the spirit is we're really trying to get to an answer, we're supposed to argue and debate so that we come to a better answer, a better solution. If we're just arguing to alienate somebody else and demonize and otherize somebody else, well, that, exactly, that's, that is, there's lots of ways and, right, and places to pull for your support if you want to do that for sure. All right, go to your your next page. in my next highlight. Despite the destruction of the temple, we tell this précis of our collective history yearly over the course of the Passover Seder as the centerpiece of the Haggadah. But why is the story told as one's own story in the first person singular? And who is the wandering Aramean identified as my father or ancestor? So she goes through that based on uh, rabbinic tradition, Right, it's Yaakov, Right? And Lavan is an Aramean. So, uh, in that sense, he comes from uh, an Aramean. uh, And you can see she walks through Ivri, the one who crosses over from beyond the Euphrates. Uh, Avraham, as a stranger and resident alien. Go to your next page. They go to. Egypt and will be oppressed there for 400 years. The possession of the land is contingent on a period of oppression and exile. Unlike the Athenians, because she quotes, she talks about the, the mythology of Athens before, unlike the Athenians, we emerge as a people from a common ancestor, the wandering Aramean, who has no claim to the land other than God's conditional promise that undergirds the terms of the covenant at Sinai. Now then, if you will obey me faithfully and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For the land is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that when we get told, like, you're going to have the land at Sinai, it's already conditional, right? If you obey me faithfully and keep my keep my laws. All right, so today we're going to go down to... Um, To the next quote from Torah, from our Parsha. Today Adonai has obtained your agreement to be God's treasured people, as God's promised you, and to keep God's commandments. The land is a tenuous gift that is conditional upon loyalty to the covenant, and exile is a collective consequence for transgression. But there is another dimension to this promise. Schooled as strangers in a land not their own, descendants of the wandering Aramean, the way we tell our history serves as the basis for a higher ethic, as it says throughout the Torah, you shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you are strangers in the land of Israel. It is precisely the consciousness of being alien with its concomitant sensitivity to the other that ironically grants the right to dwell in the land. So only if we ally ourselves with those who... Don't have the right to dwell in the land, do we keep the right to dwell in the land?
3: So that kind of eliminates the chosen people concept that I heard in the, the first you are thus my, my treasured people, but everybody that you have to take care of is part of the choice too. In other words, you choose to be a part, you're not chosen if you don't follow the rules. Okay.
1: <laughs> the, short history we re- the short history we recite again and again upon recalling the exodus at Passover and offering the first fruits reminds us of this tenuous relationship to the land, a contingent gift from God. What raises us to chosenness and confers a claim to that gift is the mandate of compassion for the stranger in our midst and remembering that we were once and on an existential level may always be strangers in a strange land. We are called upon to link living in the land with compassion for for and just behavior towards those strangers who dwell among us I want to extend this when I work with young people right now for their bar and bat mitzvah and understanding these parshiyot this really speaks powerfully to me also this conditional promise that you will live and live well and all of that on the land if you live in line with Torah ethics and morals and values that put a limit on greed and consumption that if you continue to consume at the rate that you do, you are not living in line with the values of this because you're saying more, 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 more. We don't know how to be sated. We don't know how to be grateful. We don't know how to be thankful for what we have. We're always wanting more. And if we live out of line with every wisdom tradition's understanding of moderation um, and putting other things above our own desire to consume, whatever it is, um, if we don't put a limit on that, there will not be a land to give us its bounty. And our kids understand this. Our young people get this. They have a direct connection to understanding that being on the land is conditional. And I'm very worried that we are living in a time where we are like we are smacked with evidence that says, I mean, these hurricanes got to help us all. What's going to happen in Florida over the next 36 to 48 hours? We know it's going to be devastating. The volcano in Mexico? It, it's going to be devastating. And Houston
2: was,
1: Houston was devastating. And these are, we know these are related to the change in in climate we know this storms are more frequent we know they're more powerful because of the change to the climate and that
3: we're causing
1: that we are causing and if we don't we are we are given so much evidence right and it's like what what is it going to take like what what exactly is it going to take for us to go oh right it's conditional our thriving in the land is conditional on our behavior and I just feel like it's it, we we are mandated now to try to turn this ship before before it's too late and there won't be an option right And exile will be the only
0: option but, for, but for every presidential order reversing what had gone on before is contributing to the destruction whether it be the Changes in the Water Act, whether it be changes in in um, every one of these, with the argument that we're going to get more jobs, is basically tearing down, effectively
1: tearing down the land. It's it's Not really scary. Global, it's really it's really, frightening. really
0: frightening. Amy, do you have any idea of the history, ancient early American history of the Jews? I think the first settlement was St. Augustine. I might not be right about it, but what was the, the incidence of slave ownership, if any, by Jews? A lot. Oh yeah, A lot. Because right? I, I don't think in the South, they, they really witnessed a lot of Jewish slave owners. Yeah.
3: owners? Yeah. owners to work,
0: huh? yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So how, how did that, that
1: come Well, there's, there's slavery here. There's slavery in Torah. Torah assumes a society in which slave labor is used in order for people to survive. It's absolutely assumed. There is nothing against Torah law if we're talking about owning slaves. But
0: if you were a rabbi then and you were delivering a sermon in the United States where we fled to the United States and now we have the blacks who are strangers in our land, they're not rotel, They're not dangerous to us. How would you... What would you say to them? Could you say anything to them? Um, you know...
1: I would like to think I would be somebody who would speak against slavery, even living in that system. But I can't. Society, yeah. I can't say that I would. <laughs> like, I mean, I I'm probably subject, like, you know, to the pressures of my time as anybody. Um, but I mean, to think the people who were fighting it turned to passages in the Torah that talked about the ethical treatment, you know, of slavery, uh, which was not happening in America. Uh, so American slavery differed. Very so, much from.
0: Who is the stranger then that this is referring to? How do, what would the category be? If, 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 you know, slaves are
1: resident aliens. <laughs> slaves are not resident is there a higher aliens.
0: Higher level of equality by a resident alien. Yes.
1: Then? Yes. Slaves are not free people. They are not. They, your obligation to a slave is not the same as it is to a free person. According to Torah law. Right. They're just different categories, right, of, of people. We, we don't like that. It's good that we don't like that. But, but that's the reality. Torah and America at that point was living with. I
3: understand how if you do this, then you will sit so, under the promised land. But doesn't say any place here that you actually, if you don't do this, you will be exiled. Yes. Where does say that? In
1: I, I don't. You, you can look it up on Google. I don't. I don't have chapter and verse, but it's it's everywhere that you you will for sure. And and look at the prophets; they they have a lot to say about you will be exiled, because a lot of this is post-exilic writing. This is post-exilic. They've had an exile already. This is written by people who experienced exile from the land. So it's
3: this is after the first
1: temple. Exactly. So 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 it's it's. Very much a part of, of their understanding is that it's conditional because they, they experienced exile and had to explain: if this is God's promise to the people and God is all powerful and all knowing and all good, then how could God's people be exiled from God's land and God's temple be destroyed? Right? And so the explanation must be: we did something wrong to deserve that. I mean, that was that was and remains the understanding of catastrophe if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, we must deserve it, right? That remains kind of the response to catastrophe. Laura, are you going to say something?
2: Aren't there a couple of weeks from now in the portion of the blessings and the curses, and a lot of the curses are, if you don't do this, and then there's horrendously horrible things that will happen. It's in this portion. It's in this portion. It is. one, One piece of which is the land will spit you out, I think.
1: Yep. You, there will be war and you will lose and yeah. your children and wives will be carried off right as slaves and um, one is that you will eat your own children um, but I if you're not grateful for all that you have you you know you will get to this place where you eat your own children and I had this flash when I was studying with my Khiruta partner this week um, by phone I was I had this flash of if you're not grateful you will eat your own child you will eat the child within because the child in you knows to be delighted with the, the sky and the sun and the air and running around and grass under your feet and and something fabulous to eat, right? And a favorite activity. The, the child knows to be grateful for that. And when we are not grateful, when we turn away from gratitude and acknowledging the blessing and abundance around us, we eat, we eat up. That child. And um, so that was my own way of living with that (laughs) that Pasuk. Uh, This week, I wish for us um, the courage to be dreamers that we can be different, that this year can be different, that we do have the opportunity every year to to think about how it is, reflect on how it is we want to change, what we can change, um, so that we can contribute to what seems impossible in terms of change in our world. May we have the strength and the courage to dream, uh, to be willing to journey to scary places uh, in order to really do tshuva, to really repent and return so that we can be uh, people ready to make this world a better place. Shabbat shalom.
0: You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday morning Torah study from Kehilat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California.